everybody, I'm Matt Valley, and this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we feature the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research pros that you trust. Now, usually on this podcast, we explore the rock and roll side of research, but today we're going to flip the script a little bit and explore the research side of rock and roll, man. Today's guest is Patrick Adler, who's currently a research associate at the Rockman School of Management at the University of Toronto, where he also completed his undergrad and master's degree before moving on to the University of California, Los Angeles, where he completed his PhD in city, urban, community, and regional planning. Now, what's really interesting about Patrick is he's been doing this really cool research that explores the economic, the regional economic impact of large-scale music festivals like Coachella and Lollapalooza and South by Southwest, all the things that we've been missing during the pandemic. Uh, and he's got some fascinating things to, to share, um, things that he's learned through that research. So I'm excited to cover that. I'll let him tell you all about it. Welcome to the show, Patrick. That's so great to be here, Matt. That's super great to have you. I really appreciate it. So, so let's get into the story of your academic career. So I work in research. Um, so I know a couple of people who have, have uh, studied geography and, and topics similar to that, but how did you become interested in this field and uh, why did you stick with it? Uh, well, the kind of gateway drug to me becoming a social scientist and a, a geographer uh, was uh, cities and specifically downtowns. I grew up in New Mexico and right when I was growing up, there started to be murmurs of like a downtown revitalization movement right. in Albuquerque. And that had um, been happening all over uh, the United States. Right. And so, yeah, I got really excited about that. And there was a organization called the Downtown Action Team that was kickstarting that. And I went and I started volunteering there. And, um, you know, the craziest part of this whole academic journey, a guy came through uh, to talk to um, the you know, city uh, downtown revitalizers named Richard Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was doing research on, uh, you know, urban regeneration, culture and cities. And, you know, I guess 20 years later or something, maybe a little bit less, uh, he's my colleague. He, ah, we are, that's we great. Are. So, so eventually I went to the University of Toronto and I studied cities and he towards the end of my time as an undergrad and um, we started hanging out. And so there's a nice like through line there, uh, but it all started like I'm a I'm a geographer, which means I'm like kind of really boring in terms of the things I'm, I'm interested in. Um, but it started with a, a less boring thing, and that's just like uh, having a downtown in a city that's that's a good place to be. Okay, okay, very interesting. Well, it doesn't sound boring to me, and it especially doesn't sound boring to me when you're studying these large scale music festivals. So tell us a little bit about your research into that space and maybe what it can tell us about micro and macroeconomics to some extent. Perfect. So uh, my dissertation research is all on this economic function in the modern uh, economy called curation. Mm -hmm. And I think we all, we increasingly understand I mean, the term itself has just proliferated so much since I started working on this. 
uh, what that is. It's when you are choosing between some products that are symbolically differentiated. So okay. you're choosing between two movies. You right. can't sort of objectively describe why one's better than the So in some sense, it's helpful to have a curation function performed to you either through a, a movie review or um, word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of areas in the economy where there's these curation functions and a really interesting opportunity to study curation would be music festivals because music festivals are kind of primarily marketing this curation function. They're saying we're putting together the best hang over a weekend, this is the best group um, group of bands, and uh, come and, and buy these expensive tickets to um, to uh, to throw this party for you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so the, the study kind of site that's the population I'm studying in my dissertation research. Okay. Particularly interested in is uh, how do these trade flows work with music festivals. So music festivals happen in basically every major city or near every major city, right. uh, Coachella being two, two or three hours from LA. And um, where do the acts actually come from? And what I'm particularly interested in is how curated industries like music and film tend to be heavily concentrated. And lo and behold, what I find is that um, like 40% of all acts at major music festivals come from just four or five uh, cities globally so 40 percent 40 percent and what what are those cities out of curiosity so we've got what can you guess uh new york los angeles uh, L london um, perfect uh uh one will be harder <laughs> we can do it uh nashville yes okay all right <laughs> And this kind of prove, proves my point too. I talk in my thesis about these sort of provenance effects too. So in the same way that you want a Bordeaux from Bordeaux, uh, maybe you want a music festival act from one of these uh, cities. But yes, you, you nailed the cities. Well, that's, that's really fascinating because I think about, okay, I grew up in Minneapolis during Prince and Husker Du and the replacements. Uh, and then, then came Seattle, right? Um, so this is part of the script, but do you have a sense yeah. for how cities like that can bust out? Yeah, so I mean, this is, uh, I think it's super fascinating uh, broadly. Um, in technology, you have scenes form or in academics, you have little scenes form kind of like Seattle in, uh, in music. And, uh, um, you know, I think there are anchor producers, so Nirvana, Pearl Jam for Seattle, uh, that, you know, there's a kind of critical mass. Uh, once um, a kind of magical alchemy or whatever happens, mm -hmm. then um, you, can, you can support the development of a ton of more bands, music venues, maybe some labels, maybe some music executives that come up in this ecosystem, and uh, you get these increasing returns just from that like initial spark of maybe one or two great bands. And I think the same thing happened in Montreal in um, the 2000, uh, of course there's Motown, New Orleans, you know, right. uh, Kansas city. Sure. And that's what I would, I would, I would say a little bit of randomness at first. And then these like very uh, predictable processes of um, 
of increasing returns after that. Okay, okay, that's that's fascinating. So uh, pandemic aside, we'll leave that aside for now. Um, when you when you think of the fact that 40% of these acts come from four cities and they're going to these locations, um, what what can you say about the economic impact of that? Is it uh, does it load up heavily on those cities then, or is it is it a migration from the big cities to maybe smaller areas that are hosting these festivals? How, how do we think about that? Yeah, well, this is a big theme. I mean, I'm in the urban planning department, and um, it's a big theme of my research. Like, uh, cities have been very enthusiastic about music festivals, right. particularly when they look at like Austin which right. started with South by Southwest. And that was the big part of their generation story. There's this guy, Jonathan Wynn, uh, a sociologist who wrote about that. Um, and then there's Coachella. Like I tell the story about how Coachella, they, they, they sponsor community clinics off of the money they get from these uh, music festivals. Uh-huh. And so it's a really appealing thing. But I think generally speaking, when you think of like a $300 wristband for Coachella, how much of that money stays in Coachella? It is pretty small, okay? And right. how much money goes back with the bands to these five cities? It's pretty big. Right. So when you think about the music industry, it is it is contributing much more. I mean, there are exceptions like uh, Coachella, but it is, it is on aggregate contributing a lot more to these spatial inequalities that we have in our society um, than it's like ameliorating them. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, so that so that would be my take. It's not the it's not the happiest story, but there we are. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really fascinating. So, uh, thinking about the research that you're currently working on, can you describe a little bit about that and maybe what the next step is for you? So we lucked out as much as you can luck out with a you know global pandemic. Um, right. We collected some information in August of. Um, using uh, social media profiles for musicians okay. on where musicians are. So it was a random sample. And then we, we identified musicians through, um, through like blogs and, and labels. And we had less random samples too. And through festivals, less random samples. And so this gave us a pretty good pre-treatment crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the treatment, of course, would be the global pandemic. And there's all right. sorts of discussions about how is this going to affect geography? And then uh, in the post-treatment, we, we have uh, data from uh, last August of 2020 mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, just the same data on where uh, musicians are. And then we're going to do it again in a couple of months, just just to source, you know, because there's the earlier pandemic and then there's a later pandemic as the vaccine's being rolled out, just to see like, how does this affect the geography? Like, are there any discernible effects to the geography? And what we're finding so far is that um, there are uh, not as many effects that might be predicted where like everyone's going to some farm in upstate New York. Like that's not really showing up in the data, but what is showing up a little bit more is uh, acts are are saying that they are uh, locating in multiple places more, and you know that's just an okay. initial finding, and we're still cleaning the data, but um, that is an interesting thing that's caught our eye. Okay, okay, very interesting. So, 
just thinking about that, that uh, pre-COVID, post-COVID, uh, can geography or urban studies, you know, from your perspective and, you know, what, what you've learned and studied, uh, can that help us envision what a post-COVID world might look like? Or is it just all, all random and, and nobody knows? <laughs> is there a contributing voice? Well, I'd say, um, first of all, any person who says, I know exactly what's going to happen after the pandemic is lying, hopefully to themselves, <laughs> um, but definitely lying because um, uh, no one knows. I'd say our community, our academic community, um, are the biggest nerds on this topic. Like, we just can't wait to find out. And we're just like casting about for new data on this, um, right. like this present study. And, you know, there's been some good stuff that started to come out. Um, there's some great urban economics studies now on uh, work from home and how that affects the urban form of cities, but uh, no real great answers yet. We have some guesses, but no, re no real like uh, great answers. And, you know, and some theories, a lot of people theorize that um, uh, central business districts, this has been a theme for uh, Richard, uh, my colleague, central uh -huh. business districts are going to be under real stress. Right. Uh, but but we're still waiting to see what's going to actually happen with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, you, in some in some regards, you're you're in a similar position to to the rest of us. Right. Uh, waiting to see how things unfold. Uh, but then jumping on and, and studying it from there. Right. Uh, well, hopefully we could be a little bit more careful, <laughs> critical. And and we at least have a more of a sense of history. So like. Sure. The death of cities has been proclaimed uh, like <laughs> every five years for this or that thing, and uh, it hasn't happened yet. And indeed, like something like the music industry shows that cities matter more than they ever have in some ways. Um, so, so we could be a little bit more care careful, hopefully. But um, th there's a lot of markets for different takes from experts uh, to say that that kind of um, pollutes the. Uh, the field a little bit. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, let me switch gears just a little bit. Um, so this is a podcast, right? Uh, I'm guessing that you, you don't just lock yourself in your room and avoid all media whatsoever. Although working on a dissertation or something like that could, could, uh, could mean that you do. Uh, but are there any podcasts or media specifically kind of in this space uh, that you listen to or read or would recommend to the layperson? You know, I think it's, well, uh, my colleague, Richard Florida, has a podcast uh, called The Mayors, um, I believe, where he talks to mayors. And uh, I think that's a fabulous podcast. I'm very biased, but he talks right. to mayors. He has a really good relationship with, like, actual leaders of cities, and I think it really shines through there. I think... Cool. Generally speaking, I am really into the Conversations with Tyler podcast, Tyler Cowan. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the amount of new ideas, like generative ideas that come up on that podcast. And he just interviews all types of people. There's some urbanists he interviews, economists, right. uh, doctors, um, but like new ideas that I come away from that podcast with um, is just incredible. And so it comes out Wednesday mornings and, I, and it's every two weeks, Wednesday mornings. I listen to it right away. Cool. Um, and you know, everything else is pretty boring. Like 
big uh, ringer head, being big like Bill Simmons head, and and that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's good. I'll I'll uh, I'll share that when I post this video. Uh, links to the podcast you mentioned. Perfect. So I appreciate that. Cool. All right. So, so you know this is coming. Uh, I hope you've at least had <laughs> 30 seconds or more to, to think about it. So this is a podcast about rock and roll after all. Uh, and so what I really want to know uh, as a geographer, as, uh, you know, who knows, whatever, who knows what you listen to, we will find out. So you're stranded on a, you're stranded on a desert island. And you have three three records at your disposal to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are those records? Um, okay, so I, like I'll start with like the first record, and this is it's gonna sound totally random. The first record that like got me into music as like an independent uh, interest, and that is um, an album called Hot by the um, Squirrel Nut Zippers. Oh yeah, yes. I, I am def- I'm a fan of the Squirrel Nut Zippers. It's so, a little off the beaten track, but really good stuff. <laughs> well, so like anyone who's heard Bruce has probably heard of them because they had this like one hit wonder in the late nineties um, during the, this like swing craze. Yep. But their music is a little like, I mean, it's older style, brassy. But um, uh, it's more like klezmer influence. It's a lot more eclectic. Yeah. And and this and I just love this album. And so like it's so crazy to think that this was the first album that I really got into because nothing I would later listen to was at all like this. <laughs> but um, so fantastic. They're great musicians. They're still at it. Actually, Andrew Bird of all people started out playing with them. He played um, violin with them. Oh, wow. And he went on to, of course, be a, a massive uh, star in his own right. Like, I think they're great. I think they're fantastic. Like, if you like yeah. Django Reinhardt, uh, I think you'd like them. Yeah, I, I, I love that first choice. Okay, what else you got? Okay, um, so now it's kind of like uh, the podcast. Like, it, it gets progressively more boring. Um, <laughs> so the second one's definitely, like, I was at a ice, I was at a Baskin-Robbins in Albuquerque, New Mexico at a debate tournament. And this song came on and it's like, it's, it sounds so cliche. It sounded like no other song I'd ever heard, uh, which is funny. Cause like this music is somewhat derivative but just not of nineties uh, or two thousands music. And I was like, I, what is this? And then of course I went home and I got it on Napster and it was um, last night by the strokes. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so that, that, that first strokes album just changed my life. It, it, turned me from I'd been really more to hip hop by that point mm-hmm. into uh turned me into a more of a garage rock kid I learned all about garage rock and it just uh yeah changed changed my life made me even more excited about music made me uh really excited about cities like it's a very urban kind of sound yeah. and yeah so, so love it that's got to be one love it okay and, last um, one <laughs> the third one I would say um, when I was starting out as a research associate in uh, Toronto um, we had of course horrible winters yep. and nothing was like a better balm to that like pain of a Toronto winter uh, than the uh, second album by Vampire Weekend Contra 
which which is a it's a it's an album that they say was written about California, mm-hmm. but it seems even more tropical. Like there's a song called Holiday that's just like this great sunny song. All their songs like probably the, probably all their songs. Their first two albums were pretty sunny. The third album a little less sunny. The fourth album pretty crunchy um, and sunny again. So I think as like as a kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the counteract winter. I, I love uh, that vampire weekend stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Excellent. Uh, love the choices. Uh, it's been a great chat. Uh, really look forward to seeing your research come out. Great. Uh, got a vested interest. Uh, so I'm really, really interested in it. So I really appreciate your time, Patrick. Thanks, uh, stay, Matt. stay in touch and rock and roll, man. Likewise. Rock and roll, man. All right. <laughs>